Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey guys, this episode of Steel Wars is sponsored by Geek Fuel. Now, if you think the metaphorical mystery box surrounding the identity of Supreme Leader Snoke is enticing, then you have not seen the real life sent out each month Geek Fuel box that lucky Geek Fuel customers get each and every month. See what I did there? Excellent on brand advertorial sizzle. For around $15 plus shipping and handling, you will get five to seven geeky items at at least $50 value. Each box has an exclusive t-shirt, a full downloadable game, and a total of about five to seven items. Frequently included brands include Marvel, DC, Firefly, Star Trek, Harry Potter, South Park, and yes, Star Wars. Now, Geek Fuel has a special deal for you guys, the listeners of Steel Wars. If you go to geekfuel.com forward slash Steel Wars, link on the site and in the show notes, you will get a bonus item at at least a $10 value for your first order. So to receive at least $50 worth of geeky items for around $15 and get your $10 bonus item, make sure you go to geekfuel.com forward slash steel wars and thanks to geek fuel for sponsoring this episode blog talk radio Welcome to the Steel Wars call-in show. I am comedian Steel Saunders and I do love Star Wars. And over the next hour and a half, we will be taking your calls and talking what has to be one of the most dramatic weeks in Star Wars news history with the Han Solo film in disarray. Ron Howard brought in to write the ship and Ron Howard's that Apollo film that gets me every time when Tom Hanks he's out of transmission and his son is in that schoolroom with all his friends hoping for the best I'm cutting onions you guys I'm cutting onions so if he can bring that sort of emotion out of a Han Solo film I will be very, very happy. Also on the cards for today, Scott Mendelson, a reporter for Forbes, will be calling in about his uh, very interesting article about the state of Lucasfilm that he just posted up on Forbes.com. If you're in the chat room, I just posted that link and you can read about it there. Our co-host, this week is a new 
guest, Dear Wars Universe. Yes, I'm going to start calling it a universe. And I just appeared on his really fun YouTube show, Black Series Rebels. Welcome, Alex Bax, to the podcast. How you doing, man? Hey, good, man. Thank you so much for having me. And I like that you're calling it the uh, the universe. It's the Steel Wars Cinematic Universe. <laughs> The Steel Wars Potomatic universe, buddy. Potomatic, yes. We'll just we'll just make up a strange pun that doesn't really fit, but we'll go for it. <laughs> <laughs> now you were just saying before we got started that you were recording the news for your show last night and you needed a drink. Dude, we had to we poured both of us poured, my co host and I, Steve, we poured some whiskey and it was like tough. It was just not a particularly positive Newsweek all around from the really sad reports with Carrie Fisher all the way over to Han Solo. It was just like, man, all right. But you know what, man, we're Star Wars fans and we roll with it and we, we bleed the wars till we die. So that, that it was, it, it was rough, but you know what, man, we're, we're here to, we're here to support this awesome movie franchise. So we, we got through it. And I think uh, I also too was just burned out from so much Twitter. I was like, Oh, now I got to record myself being mad about Star Wars. Oh, <laughs> A lot, a, lot, a lot of stuff. Now, here's a question that I posted, a little poll I posted on Twitter, which anyone calling in today, I will ask them to answer. And if you want to call in, by the way, you can call in on 646-668-8360. The lines are already pretty loaded. And if you don't know, we have a, uh, a Patreon fast pass. So we'll get to the Patreon callers up front and then try to fit everyone else in. I'm not sure even if we'll get to everyone today with the amount of people, but you've got to be in it to win it. And the question I posted as a poll about six hours ago was if two years ago you were given the choice about the Han Solo film, would you have chosen to go with? And this is the current stats with 148 votes in. Would you go with 25% have gone with the Lego dudes? 24% (laughs) have chosen to go with Fonzie's pals. And 51% took the option of just don't make it. Ooh. So Ooh. two years ago, given the choice, and, and full disclosure, two years ago, I would have clicked just don't make it because out of the universe of possible Star Wars stories, the, I don't know, finding out what Han Solo did 10 years ago doesn't do much for me on paper. Do you know what I mean? It, yeah. But it is, mm-hmm. it is the creative's job to come up with a fabulous story in that time that I'm going to love and I'm open to love it. And I, I go in expecting totally. to love it. So which one would have you chosen uh, two years ago? Two years ago, if, oh man, I probably would have gone with don't make it because I'm, I'm very open about my opinion that Lord and Miller coming on to direct it is what made me want it. So at first I was like, I I don't really want this movie. But then when they were announced, I was like full speed ahead. I trust these guys. I think they're two of the best comedy directors working right now. And especially with their ability to turn pretty much franchises that should be garbage into pretty awesome movies. I was like, well, Star Wars is already great. I can't imagine what they'll do with something that I'm super interested in. So 
I guess I would vote for don't make it two years ago, but if I knew they were an option, I, I would probably vote for them, but I wouldn't call them the Lego dudes. I'd just call them Lord and Miller. <laughs> well, you know, the other guy was called Fonzie's pal. So that's true. I guess the Academy award winning Ron Howard is Fonzie's pal. So I guess Lego dudes. Me, okay. I'm sorry, Alex. I'm sorry. The Academy Academy <laughs> award winning Fonzie's pal. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Are yes. you happy? Thank you so much. Thank you. I want everyone to be referred to by their awards that they've won, their accolades. I want to be very respectful to their journeys as creatives in Los Angeles. Now, listen, as far as I'm concerned, you can take their Academy Award and, <laughs> and to quote the great show, Happy Days, sit on it. There you uh, go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so... I'll throw a question to you real quick. I mean, were you excited when you found out they were going to be directing or were you indifferent? I was intrigued. Okay. I, I love the Lego movie. The Lego movie is so much more than it should be, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know. I, I, it didn't totally sit perfectly with me. Okay. Because, because their genre is so different than a Star Wars film. Very true. Do you know what I mean? They make great films, mm-hmm. but it, it, like they make great films that are so different to Star Wars. And I just finished, uh, as Patreon subscribers will be treated to tonight, I just recorded a new Making Steel Wars show, which is mm-hmm. a little show about the news behind the news that I do with Jason Ward each week from makingstarwars.net. And... Some of the reports are saying that the, the, you know, the dailies were coming through, uh, you know, a little bit too wacky and goofy and stuff. And I, reading it, and, and you know, you, reports are reports. They are what they are. But I had this evil feeling that they were filming a live-action version of Star Wars Detours. Oh. That, that, that was my overzealous reaction and and if you know long-time listeners know that i was in full support of the cancellation of star wars detours yeah you uh, know i've read some of those reports and it's weird i'm sort of falling in a i i I sort of have been saying it feels like two parents that i really love are getting divorced and i don't know which one to pick because I hear that report and I go, man, I find it really hard to believe that those guys would be so out of step with what Han Solo needs to be, especially understanding sort of the gravity and importance of a movie like this. But Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, if it is one of those things where they were looking at these dailies and going, oh my gosh, that this tone is just all wrong, then I'm glad they stepped in. But I always wonder too, a little bit, how much of it is the Disney PR machine versus the Lord and Miller PR machine. And naturally Disney's going to be able to swat those guys like flies and let them go off into their corner. And Disney will be able to control that narrative, you know? Mm. So I, I, I always like to keep, keep my a, a, as open mind as I can when it comes to that stuff. But I think it's probably a little bit of both, right? I think it was probably a little bit off step. And then those guys were just like, Hey, listen, you hired us to do our thing. We're doing our thing. And now, you don't like it, you know, we're not going to play, play ball. So yeah, there is that view that, you know, Lucasfilm hires them to make a humorous Star Wars film. Yeah. But they 
sort of went into it to make a humorous film set in Star Wars. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't it funny what just changing a sentence around just a little bit can change your opinion of what you'd be getting from a movie like that? Yeah, a humorous Star Wars movie versus a humorous movie that takes place in Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Hey, we're going to go to a call. We have got a little bit of Star Wars fan royalty on the line as I welcome onto the call-in show previous guest and the creator of the iconic fan film Troops and also a writer for Star Wars The Clone Wars cartoon. It's Kevin Rubio. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm really well. It's, it's a, a turbulent but, but exciting time to be a Star Wars fan, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it has been a week. And, I, you know, of course, you, 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 you get a lot of divisiveness. You get a lot of people that jump on the, the, the bandwagon with their own opinions as to how things will go down, uh, what went, what went uh you know, what went on, on uh, for the production? How could they get this far? And, you know, I, I, I think really there's, there's maybe only 20 people in the world that really know what happened. And I'm, I, don't, I don't think any of us can, that will ever know with, with complete certainty with how this thing, you know, uh, you know what, what, what were the conversations that went on? But I, I wanted to impart at least a little film knowledge to the uh, audience as to how something like this can get so far down the line. Because I, mm-hmm. I hear a lot of people throwing things out and they that are, are just not aware of the process of filmmaking and what happens. And first off, Lord and Miller are awesome. Kathy Kennedy is the one of the most successful, if not the most successful producer in Hollywood history. The very first film she, that she produced knocked Star Wars off the top of the box office uh, as the all-time box office champ. Her first, her first produced movie was E.T., mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so this is, uh, I, I, I just laid it out to one of the guys at Screen Rant who put up a, a clickbait on, you know, should... Lucasfilm be looking for new leadership and nothing could be further from the truth. But <laughs> when it, when but, but it comes that, to But like, that said, Kevin, that said, Kevin, yeah. can you really be like upset at someone that works for a company called Screen Rant about trying <laughs> well, to yeah. Granted. Yeah. <laughs> There's no false advertising. But, but I wanted to, to get to the subject and again, this is this is I'm I'm con- I'm con- uh, adding conjecture with with what I know about the process of filmmaking, having made films, uh, and and knowing how these things go on. And if if you believe the reports from StarWarsNewsNet.com, you know everybody was was it was a it was a great set. Everybody was happy. People uh, the people at Lucasfilm were very pleased with. Uh, uh, Alden and and the cast and the 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 footage that was coming out. Now, when you start a movie, especially something this high profile with this much pressure, you know, at the beginning of production, everybody's kind of kind of be on pins and needles, and you know, people are, are making a lot of talk about the dailies. Well, dailies 
for the audience that may not know, is basically everything that was shot on the day is reviewed in a screening room, typically, uh, that night. Now, if you have digital, if you're shooting digital, you catch a lot of stuff already in, in the monitors because what you see in the monitors is eventually what you're going to see on the screen. But there's a big difference between seeing it on a monitor that is, you know, 27, 36 inches and seeing it on a giant screen. So also you want it projected so that you get an idea of tone and whatnot. And when you're watching dailies, it's not like you're watching one take. You're, you're watching everything, uh, up to four hours of footage. And normally the first take or the first few takes follows the script. And then once you get what you want, then typically uh, if, if your directors are guys who like improv, they will say, let's just do something. Now, what I'm thinking is that, and again, this is my opinion and my guesswork, is that as the film got further and further along and people got more and more comfortable and in sync and in rhythm, that Lord and Miller started to improv more and more and started to get into their groove and do what they did. And so they would get a take that stuck to the script, and then they'd improv. And so you could watch dailies and see, okay, well, we like that take. And then you could look at the improv stuff, and from a producer standpoint, you're just saying, well, that's interesting, but we're going to go to this take. And what I think might have happened is they saw a first cut, and they saw the, the choices that Lloyd and Miller made, in addition to the reports that Alden had raised concerns about how he was portraying the character because he seemed to feel that he was straying more, farther and farther away from what he believed the character should be. And that that's when the topic started. And it's not until they saw some form of an assembly cut, which, of course, would have happened later on in the production. Interesting. That is a good bit of film math that I think a lot of people, including myself, did not think about. Can I ask you a thing about these dailies? And it's about four hours, you're saying, a day. Who's watching yep. that? Who has the time? Whose job is it to watch four hours of film stuff every night? Your editor, your director, your production designer, your director of photography, your producer. Because it used to be, and I don't know if this, if this is being shot on film, then you're not going to see, you know, a, a developed print of this until the next day, yeah. typically. Okay? And so, you, you know, sometimes you're just watching to see, is everything in focus? Because you want to, you, you have to watch this stuff because your sets might have to be torn down the next day and you have to move on to a location. So you want to make sure you have everything. Mm. So yeah, it's incumbent upon your directors and, and, and everyone that I mentioned, your DP, your production designer, all your above-the-line people to watch this. Also, if the studio executives at Disney and, uh, and, and other studios are doing their job, they are supposed to be watching the dailies. After all, they're paying for it. And if they see something that concerns them, it's their money. They have the right to say, hey, we don't like how this is going. This is how Eric Stoltz got replaced on uh, Back to the Future. You know, yeah. they, they were watching it in the dailies, and it just wasn't happening. 
You know, you could on set, you kind of go, well, yeah, maybe, I guess we could do it. And then you start watching it on the screen, and you go, yeah, you know what? This is not happening. We have to replace somebody. Is this, and, a, hot, so, is this a hot take that uh, they were filming a completely different Han Solo movie at night with Ron Howard? So they were working <laughs> about, like, what was it, like 18 hours a day, they would shoot Eric Stoltz, and then they would just, like, kind of shuttle him off and bring in uh, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> No, what happened was is they wanted Michael J. Fox initially, but um, uh, when they started shooting, Michael wasn't available because he was doing family ties. Then they they shot for about a month with Eric and finally realized, you know what, this is not going to work. And b- because a month had gone by, Michael was now available. Yeah. And I, so I, yeah, then they, they I, went back and they reshot everything. I think it actually went that, he still had the same schedule, but they just said, like, and they just sort of begged. And he would actually film all night and then go back yeah. to family ties during the day. Yeah, to wrap up. Yeah, for, because he had to yeah about, but, I think he had about a month left on family ties. Now, Kevin, let me put this scenario together and, and, and see if this is just like a praise of what you're saying is, that they were, they were filming every day. They were filming some stuff on script and then they were filming stuff off script. And so people uh-huh. watching the dailies and going, oh, yeah, that bit's good. That takes not so good. But then when they made a rough cut of the film, the partners went for more of the looser version and then Lucasfilm, and, and I'm just supposing here, went, no, no, we don't want... We want you to do it this way. And that's when... That's why it's such a late in the process bust up. Was was the that choice is, that, over that what is, was that is that is my my guess. I could be wrong, but when people ask how could this have gone so far in and people not see what was going on, it's because they didn't have an assembled cut. Hmm. Yeah, and Kathleen's a little busy with this movie called The Last Jedi <laughs> that they have Kathleen's coming out a little before. Busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kathleen's a little busy with a a 16 to $18 billion company. Exactly. Think of all the things that you do in the day. She's managing three films in active production, plus a a film in development, a possible TV show in development, licensing, merchandising, two theme parks, you know. So even if Alden, um, uh, like, told one of the producers on set, I'm having some concerns – that's going to take a while to get up the chain, you know, from London to to, to Los Angeles, then up to, to Lucasfilm, then to, you know, schedule meetings, see what's going on. Is it a concern? We don't think so. We've seen the dailies. We like everything. We like the performances. We like the actors. But now you start looking at the dailies with that in your head and you go, huh, we need to see a cut. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, what do you have so far? And and again, this is I am I am supposing that they they saw an assembled cut of what they had so far that it, the tone was not right, and that they gave the, the uh, Lord and Miller uh, the option say we we need to do research shoots and we need this tone, and Lord and Miller completely within their rights because it's, as you said you hired us. For this, this is what we do. We're not going to change. And you know, Kathy's got to make a judgment call: the franchise or the directors. 
Yeah, and especially, yeah. you know, all these reports of improv coming out, you know, another another person on set, as I'm sure you know, which is so important and key to the process of improv is the script supervisor. So if when they're on set, this script supervisor is like, man, everyone's laughing at this and Lord and Miller are really loving this. And they're they're making checks on the takes where everyone's having a blast and they send yeah. this cut of just what the script supervisor and the directors were saying was amazing. They take one look at this and they go almost 75% of this, every single line has some sort of like mild adjustment. They're going to go, what are you guys doing on set? You know? So I think a lot well, of that, and, that improv is a huge part of it. And you can look at a scene and the scene can be great and very entertaining and think, yeah, this is nice. And they, but then you start taking, putting that scene next to another scene, next to another scene. And you start getting a story and you go, okay, this is really off. And and also just for for the audience that's not familiar with the film vernacular, uh, uh, those are called circle takes. Uh, and if a film didn't have enough money to to print everything, they would only print the ones that they thought were the best. And so those 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 uh, uh, takes would get a circle behind uh, on it. And so, and so that the, the labs would know, oh, okay, that we're printing the circle takes. Ah. Ooh. Interesting. I, I do have to um, be the devil's advocate to this. Kathleen Kennedy has a lot on her plate. Now, especially myself, no one asked for a Star Wars film and then another Star Wars film five months later. Like, I know you're busy. But you dug your own hole with that production schedule. Well, actually, um, stockholders asked for it, and Disney asked for it because they spent twelve billion dollars on the franchise, and they would like to to start making money off of this purchase. And, they've and made they have, their money back money. already. It was four billion, and they have done pretty well. And now their desire to make so much money is costing them money, but. That every give us one a year, one a year, make it perfect, make it perfect. Uh, okay, so uh, the Force Awakens does two point one billion, and Rogue One does one point six billion. Where is the problem? Well, the problem is that when you're saying, yes. "Well, Kathy's very busy," that's the problem because there's now been all these issues. Not when you look at the bottom line, and it's show um, business. Yeah, well, time will tell. There is there is dwindling the, the dwindling. You, you know, they were saying the exact same thing about about Rogue One when it went into massive reshoots. Shoots. Here is a, here is the only true problem, and that is placement of Lord and Miller by Ron Howard is going to be the topic of conversation for today, tomorrow, at D23, at Comic-Con, all the way up to the press junkets until people see the film. And even at that press junket, they will, Disney, no matter how much they cry, they will not be able to avoid this as a topic. That is a problem. You know, it is a problem that... Ron Howard is now going to have to come in and assure cast and crew that, you know, we're going to get through this. We're going to make a great movie. And, you know, uh, and, and he's going to make everybody look good. 
you know, that is a problem that Ron Howard, if anybody in this industry is up for it, you know, He's that's, the guy, that's yeah. the guy you want. The man has succeeded in every genre of filmmaking. He has 60 years of experience, you know, and is one of the nicest guys around. If, if, if I were to pick anybody to, to write a ship in this unique, almost never happened situation, Ron Howard would be right at the top. Yeah, I agree. Well, I, for one, and I'm sure everyone hopes, except this one nutbag that was contacting me on Twitter today, that he does write the ship and uh, we get an amazing adventure with one of our favorite characters of all time. That's what I hope. That's what we yeah. all hope. And, and also, and here's, here's the thing. A lot of people say, well, who's going to get directing credit? That's going to be arbitrated by the DGA. So whoever you see on whoever you see on the screen as the director, that's the guy who directed it. I'm not I'm not up on the full contract because it's 900 pages long, um, uh, the DGA agreement with with Motion Picture Studios. But I believe it is still in effect that in order for you to be credited as the director, you must have shot more than 50 percent of the final film that as it appears in theaters. So you very well come next year could see Han Solo with Lord and Miller still credited as the directors. Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> that would be crazy. What about, what about this? What about this as a scenario? This is a crazy scenario. So Lord and Miller, they keep their directors um, credit. Then Ron Howard comes in does his bit, gets the film back to how they want it and makes one of just the most deliciously fun, entertaining films of all time. And it receives an Academy Award. <laughs> Who goes up on stage? <laughs> I guess all three. Uh, <laughs> it, whoever, whoever was submitted as the director to be nominated is the one who shows up on stage. I mean, it's, it's not like this hasn't happened before. Superman uh, 2, over over 70% of the movie was shot. Uh, and then when they went back to complete filming, the Sultans dropped Richard Donner and hired Richard Lester to complete it. Now, in order for Richard Lester to, to receive credit as director, they had to go back and reshoot several key sequences. So they they took out Richard's stuff. You now have the Donner cut, which you can get on Blu-ray and DVD, and you can see sort of how Richard's cut would have worked. But, I, I, again, if, if they go back and they do complete reshoots and it's enough to – to, to justify more than 50%, then Ron Howard's name will be on it. Well, hopefully you get just an amazing film out of it, but it's yeah. going to be an yeah. entertaining ride along the way, definitely. It's, uh, well, it, it, it gives, it gives, it gives uh, all, you, all you podcast guys some, something more to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> like we needed it. Like we yeah. needed it, Kevin. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> hey, Kevin, it was so... Yes, I, I am... 
so grateful for you to call in. I'm always flattered someone that I'm, you know, such a big fan of their work wants anything to do with the podcast. So I appreciate it. But you also, very enlightening. Some great points made about, you know, how things may have unfolded. I, I really appreciate it, man. Absolutely. And I, I enjoy the show. I Hopefully I'll, uh, I'll be down at your, your, uh, your live show next week. Yeah, this this Sunday. Let us know if you're coming. Let us know if you're coming. And is there... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Anything um, we can sizzle for you on the show? Nothing right now, but thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> no sweat. Well, I, 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 will, I will co-opt his sizzle and say we did an excellent interview episode of Steel Wars with Kevin about his fandom, about the amazing Troops fan film, which you can find on YouTube and his uh, work on the Clone Wars cartoon. So thanks very much, Kevin. I will catch up with you you soon. Thanks, Kevin. All righty, you guys. Now let's go as sizzled. Forbes.com reporter... Scott Mendelson, you're on the line. How you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm doing very well. Uh, how's my connection? You are well connected. You are well connected. Okay. Now, um, you posted up a, a really interesting piece on Forbes.com titled with the heavy, heavy sizzle on this title, on this headline, Disney Star Wars has been spoiled by its success. For those currently driving, listening to the podcast, either live or on demand, give us, give us the gist of uh, what this compelling story is about. Well, it was a morning after piece written, you know, the, the, the news went down the previous evening. And basically it was a couple of things. First, you know, first of all, general audiences aren't going to care about all this backstage drama if the film delivers in a classically crowd-pleasing fashion. You know, they're not, you know, if it looks good, if it gets decent reviews, they'll show up. You know, the -the behind-the-scenes drama is mostly for people like us that pay attention to this stuff. Also, it, it brings two issues to the fore. First of all, if these films are not going to be the standalone pictures, the Star Wars stories, if they're not going to be somewhat against the grain, somewhat unconventional, something of a st- an opportunity to give interesting and exciting filmmakers or veterans that want to crack at Star Wars a chance to play in that sandbox and make something perhaps a little different, a little challenging, potentially, you know, not great, you know, an experimental picture. Then what's the point? Why are we? Why are we? What is the point of these these Star Wars stories, other than you know three four years ago they said to their shareholders we're going to give you a Star Wars movie every year. You know every other year you'll get an episode, and the in between years you'll get a Star Wars story. Thus far, I frankly have been very disappointed 
obviously we've only got one of these and but but the announcements of oh we're gonna do a young on solo a young yoda a young boba fett you know whatever or you know th- those are the paths of least resistance they are the least interesting possible choices and it implies that these star wars stories are less about you know to paraphrase star trek the other one you know, searching out for brave new worlds, going beyond the final frontier, you know, not sticking just to the Skywalker saga, but rather they're sort of extensions of the original trilogy meant to cash in on nostalgic fan service. And that is bad. Artistically, that is unfortunate because, it's, you know, every Star Wars film is going to look and feel the same. And over the long term, I think it's bad because, once people realize that every Star Wars film is going to feel, look and feel like The Force Awakens, they're going to you know, burn out and or lose interest that much faster. But, conversely, at the end of the day, it's Catherine Kennedy's reputation on the line. Yeah. She's the head of Lucasfilm. Her name's on the door. If they go and make some kind of artsy-fartsy Star Wars film whether it's good or bad, that just doesn't connect with the general public in a way that The Force Awakens or Rogue One did, and oh no, it only makes $600 million worldwide. You are going to have the media going, what went wrong with Star Wars? Can Star Wars be saved? Well, where did Kathleen Kennedy go wrong? And that's going to you know, potentially spook the shareholders because Disney is a publicly traded company. And so... Well, I might think long-term, they need to be, you know, if these films are going to be interesting and worth making in an artistic sense, they have to be willing and able to fail. You need to be willing to make a Batman Returns that might be off-putting in a way that Batman Forever is not, even though a more crowd-pleasing, general audience-pleasing Batman Forever might make more money in the short term than a Batman Returns. So I think what you have a situation of the first film came out and it made so much money. It made $937 million in North America, biggest grocer ever in North America, made $2 billion worldwide. And then Rogue One came out and made another billion dollars. Now, so now you're in this weird situation where, theoretically, you might have been in a situation where, oh, the main Star Wars films are going to be giant, super-duper blockbusters, but the Star Wars stories, don't know. They might be these somewhat off-the-beaten-path pictures that, hey, they only have to make $500 million or $600 million and we'll be fine. Now there's an expectation that Star Wars by itself is a $1 to $2 billion worldwide a pop brand. Mm. So, you know, the, the, the somewhat hot, you know, hot takey headline, Mia culpa, is that, you know, the, the first two Star Wars films have been so successful that they've kind of boxed the filmmakers and producers in to a point where they really can't afford to take chances that would result in a potentially a massive downturn in grosses for the sake of a art. But more importantly, because it is a business, long term fiscal sense so that people don't get burned out or tired of these Star Wars films. So if you had had a situation where The Force Awakens made a billion dollars, everybody loved it. Rogue One came out, most people liked it, made 
five, six hundred million dollars, then you might be in a situation where, okay, you know, that's how it's going to be. You know, it's, it's, they don't have to be the same. They can have interesting filmmakers. They can, or, let me rephrase that. They can have interesting filmmakers having a certain amount of freedom. And, you know, if one of these just doesn't click and only makes $350 million, not the end of the world. Yeah, they're, they're, they're in a bit of a damned if you do situation because. Yes. They, it, the first two have made so much. And, you know, The Force Awakens was just, you know what I mean, just a giant celebration of Star Wars and income. And, and I was actually surprised at how well. Rogue One did. Like I, I was, it, it, I was shocked it made it into the top ten of of all time. Well, December legs are a very magical thing, mm-hmm. and this is, you know, I mean, I, you know, from a point of view of North America, but to a certain extent, this applies around the world as well. You open a film the week before, the weekend before Christmas weekend, you have about two weeks where everybody's off of school and a lot of people are off of work. And you have a you know, weekdays that play like weekends. And what you see is just ridiculous legs. But usually, prior to The Force Awakens, it was a trade-off. You don't get a gigantic, super-duper opening weekend, but you get really, 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 really good legs. What Force Awakens did is it got the biggest opening weekend of all time, and it had pretty darn good legs for December. So you got the best of both worlds. Same thing with, with Rogue One. Had Rogue One come out in the middle of the summer and done a, it's $155 million, it maybe would have made it to 400 450 etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. A good, solid summer multiplier. But because it came out in the, toward the end of December and it had those you know super-duper legs, it was able to, to make a uh, $155 million opening weekend into... Around 428, or excuse me, 528 domestic. So now they know, hey, we could do that. And that's, you know, opened the floodgates in terms of very, very big films like Aquaman, which comes out next, you know, a year from December. Hopefully, try the same role, you know, the same game. So that's part of why those films did as well as they did. You know, December Legs, Nostalgia, you know, Anticipation. The other thing is, you know, as silly as this might sound, for better or worse, Disney was very ahead of the curve in terms of realizing that come December, people would want, because of the unfortunate political situation, a somewhat uplifting and optimistic film about a ragtag group of rebel heroes giving it all for the greater good to fight a tyrannical evil. You know, I, I think, as silly as that might sound, the film was received very differently because of who won the American presidential election. Totally. You know, it was, it was, so, so, I hate this cliche, so we, but the movie we need right now. Yeah. So to be clear, it was, it was more happenstance that it fit in with the political climate than, than you're saying it was adjusted towards it. I uh, know. I mean, cause the movie was basically done by the time the election came around. Yeah. Okay. It was just a situation where they were ahead of the curve or they just, for lack of a better term, got lucky. I don't want, you know, there's nothing lucky about what's going on right now. But nonetheless, you know, they were in a situation where a film that was a bit more, felt like old school Star Wars was ready to be embraced as what people wanted to see at the movies. As escapism, as wish fulfillment fantasy, et cetera, et cetera. 
And of course, um, a new hope coming out of the Vietnam War. That was the same sort of, yes. you know, happy, you know, bubble pop of good triumphing over evil as well. So it's, well, uh, you know, it's, you know, the Star Wars films came out, you know, several years after the Vietnam War. The prequels came out right as Bill Clinton was leaving office and George W. Bush was coming into term and 9-11 was about to happen. Force Awakens comes out right toward the beginning of the general, you know, what would be, what would be the general presidential election where we basically elected a Palpatine type. We need to stop making Star Wars movies because every time we start a new trilogy, American politics goes to hell. Hot take. You heard it here I first. Mean, if, you, if you want We're to push done. it back, you know, you got the original Star Wars was right before Reagan. Um, yeah, they were Nixon analogies, but you know, anyway, and that's, 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 well, it's, um, it's interesting. I, I enjoyed your article because it, it, it did sort of, you know, cover both sides. You've got Kathleen Kennedy who has produced in, in two years, two top 10 grossing films, which, you know, you can, as a Star Wars fan, not like this, that, or the other, but, you know, to the, 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 the wide populace have been very popular. But then on the other hand, she's lost, you know, arguably three different director teams in the production of films. You had Josh Trank that didn't get to start. You had uh, Gareth that he didn't get to quite finish as strongly as he started. And now you've got the current situation. So, you know, Kevin, I'm not sure if you heard, painted a, a quite a um, interesting picture about the way, you know, people see the dailies and then it was maybe the rough edit yes. where the issue started. I mean, you know, Josh Trank, I mean, that was, you know, that was putting out a fire before it started, for better or worse. Yeah. You know, if, if anything, that's, that's, you know, what, how it's supposed to work, that you part ways before you get in too deep, for better or worse. I mean, you know, Ant, you know Edgar Wright leaving Ant-Man, you know, Ava DuVernay saying, you know, this isn't necessarily the Black Panther movie I want to make. Let's part ways now. And, you know, she went on to do a wrinkle in time for Disney, so obviously no love lost. But this was a situation where, I mean, in my memory, the closest comparison I can think of was, as you mentioned on the show earlier, the Superman movies. But even that, you had one completed picture. This, three weeks of principal photography left? I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to say it's unprecedented because someone will say, oh, well, in 1965, this happened. But certainly in my lifetime, I've never, I've never seen this situation on a film of this scale. Now, Ron Howard is a very, very good director. He's the kind of guy you want, you know, in this emergency. You know, his, he has good instincts. He has a variety of success and a variety of genres. He's one of those filmmakers that doesn't get the credit he's due because his style is that he it's it's I don't want to say a style that he doesn't have a style, but you know he, he's not he's not like a Quentin Tarantino or a Tim Burton or an M Night Shyamalan where you're like okay that's that's definitely a Rod Howard picture. His style is that they're good. <laughs> you know he, yeah. he gets good performances from good actors and tells interesting stories with a you know a very subtle quality, craftsmanship, professionalism, yada yada yada. And I have no idea what this film's going to look like when they're done with it. I do think, in general, a young Han Solo movie was a bad idea in the first place. 
I think it was easily the least exciting of the projects that have been announced or will be announced. And the fact that arguably the only reason anyone was really excited for it was because of Lord and Miller being aboard. They have a history of making good movies out of seemingly bad ideas. (laughs) Uh, The Lego movie was arguably a punchline. Uh, They made something magical with it. You know, 21 Jump Street was, you know, in lesser hands, that would have been chips. But, you know, they made something where... Or Baywatch, yeah. And... Let me just say that you know, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs was much better than we were expecting. You know, that is an excellent animated picture. This won't help their career, even though obviously it, you know, there's a difference between being fired and walking off the set. And frankly, this won't help Catherine Kennedy in terms of getting directors to make the next ones. Because you know, regardless of, of the varying degrees of whoopsie, you know, on one hand, you have Josh Trank, who was you know, fired before anything really bad could happen. And on the other end of the scale, you've got Lord and Miller that were canned basically for, you know, A, basically for not playing ball. Because, I mean, you could argue to one extent Gareth Edwards was, quote-unquote, replaced by Tony Gilroy, but he played ball. He said, okay, you know, I, I, you know, you could make the movie you want to make. I'll put on a happy face for the press tour, yada, yada, yada. And there's value in that. You know, do you think if Zack Snyder had come out and said, oh, you know, the three-hour version of Batman v Superman was the one that was really good, and they made me cut it down and, you know, made it more Batman-centric, blah, 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 that he would have gotten a chance to direct Justice League. But he kept his mouth shut, even as he was roasted alive by the Internet, and he's still doing Justice League. You know, obviously he left a month or so ago for personal reasons. David Ayer is a better example. You know, we all know that something went very, very wrong behind the scenes with Suicide Squad. Yes. But you'll never hear it from his mouth. You know, he played ball. He did the interviews. He, he acted like that was the film more or less that he intended. And he is directing Gotham City Sirens. You know, no, no harm, no foul. But I do think from a PR, from a media narrative point of view, this does put the Star Wars franchise in a tricky spot. You know, Disney has a generally decent reputation for letting auteurs do what they want to do within reason. You know, David Lowry got to make a David Lowry movie that happened to have a giant green dragon in it and made one of the best commercial pictures of last year, uh, Pete's Dragon, for the record. You know, the Marvel films, I mean, say what you will about what goes on behind the scenes of a Marvel movie, Iron Man 3 is is a Shane Black picture. Guardians of the Galaxy was absolutely a James Gunn picture. Even to a certain extent, you know, Captain America was a Joe Johnson picture. I mean, you know, they, 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 you know, the the films that Disney puts out, generally speaking, where you do have a somewhat known filmmaker, they feel at peace with that filmmaker's filmography. And, you know, that's that's a reputation they want to keep. You know, Warner Brothers is trying to dig itself out of that hole. You know, and I think to its credit, you know, Wonder Woman looks like a Patty Jenkins picture. You know, there are piece, bits and pieces of that that feel at peace with Monster. Obviously, it's a very different philosophy. One's incredibly cynical and said, you know, all men are terrible. The other one is saying, you know, men are flawed, occasionally terrible creatures, but humanity's worth saving anyway. Again, as far as the film goes, assuming it gets finished, I'm assuming it will, assuming it gets released in a timely manner, I'm assuming it will, if it's good, 
And when I mean good, I don't mean, oh, it's great. I mean, you know, it's it's enjoyable. It's it's fun to watch. It makes sense. The characters are interesting. It you know, A to B to C plot makes sense. It'll be fine. There was, there was one thing that came out of this week. You know, Colin Trevorrow was, was very under fire at the start of the week, and many people said, well, it's off the hook for him now, you know, because people were calling for it, you know, obviously very preemptively saying, let's get rid of him. And it's like, well, he's off um, the hook now. But, but in my mind, he's more on the hook than ever. It's like, that is... Yeah, I mean, I, I have a very different opinion about that, but first let me get to what you're saying. Yes, Colin... Colin Trevorrow, is that how you pronounce it? I, I never Trevorrow. have to say these names out loud because I'm a writer. I'm from um, Australia, so you cut me some slack. It's Trevorrow. I'll say it really quickly and nobody will notice. He, you know, again, he's not the fan choice. He has kind of become the poster child, fair or not, for the, you know, the, the white male filmmaker that gets handed the keys of the kingdom after one relatively well-received indie because he reminds the old guard of themselves. You know, that is an advantage that obviously minorities and women don't get because women are generally not in the old guard. And if the ninth film was intended to revolve around General Alea, as has been reported, you know, they're in a pickle right now. You know, they basically have to start that film from scratch. As far as the Book of Henry, I didn't hate it. I, and I, it drives me nuts the way that the Internet at large has piled on that, you know, Small budget, $10 million, you know, it's basically from focus features saying, you know, which is part of Universal Comcast, basically saying, thank you, the Jurassic World made $1.6 billion. Here's your little, you know, personal film that nobody's going to see. It's no different than, you know, when, you know, uh, Gore Verbinski went off and made The Weatherman between pirate sequels. That's the kind of stuff you want filmmakers to do. You want them to make a one for me after they make the one for them. Otherwise, they're not going to make any one for me. They're going to have nothing but Ted Pulse. And the idea that that film would have been a hit in any scenario over the last two, three, four years is insane. You know, the guy that's directing Jurassic World, the Forgotten, Forgotten Kingdom? Forgotten Kingdom. Yeah. After the last film, I would like to forget that kingdom, yes. <laughs> but, well, the director of that, J.A. Biana, his last film was A Monster Calls, which was also a focus features, lower budget you know, grief-stricken drama involving a precocious young child that made almost, you know, that, that is going to make about what, what the Book of Henry made. But nobody's calling for him to be kicked off of Jurassic World 2. Now, obviously, that film was a much better picture, but... But the other thing and, is, it's, it's like, the, the, like Star Wars and Jurassic Park, you know, the fandoms are a, a lot different. And a lot more, you know, yeah. Star Wars fandom is, is, is very potent. Now, let me ask you this, yes. Scott. You've seen, you've seen the Book of Henry, is that right? Yes. Okay. Do you think some of the, the backlash got, like, increased because of the themes in the movie that some people found? You know, there's, I, I think there's some, like, is there a, a pedophile incident in the yes. film? It's yeah, very think... off screen. It's very suggested. You know, it's 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 not. There's none of that. You know, there's no sexual content, consensual or otherwise, in the picture that I can remember. Do you think that's increased? I do think the, there the is no. The well, yes and no. I do think there is a tendency over the last couple of years for the media at large to sort of 
refuse to take an original premises, potentially off-kilter premise at face value, where they hear about a movie that is a little weird, a little off the beaten path, and they respond with, this is the craziest thing ever, type snark. You know, collateral beauty, passengers, you know, what have you. And I think it's very self-defeating for a media that then goes back and asks why Hollywood isn't making more original movies. I don't know. You know, if you, if, you know media, it's, 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 if, if you're media, more accepting, Star Wars has been spoiled by its success. They're out of control. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think you know it's it's, it's again it's it's people. I, I think the media at large, you know, have been you know, if you have something like Beauty and the Beast, where you know the premise, you've embraced the premise, you've grown up with it for 25 years. The film, which is about a young girl that gets kidnapped by a scary, abusive monster and eventually falls in love with him after she, you know, fixes him and makes him into a slightly better human being, if that were an original premise, it would get torched by the outrage police. It would get slaughtered by the Think Peace Brigade. But because it's a known quantity, because it's something that we've already inured ourselves to accept, it is off the hook in a way that an original premise is not. So I think that a movie like The Book of Henry gets penalized for a media culture in which, can you believe this madness snark is rewarded? You know, you have articles saying, here are the 10 most jaw-droppingly negative reviews of The Book of Henry. Here are the most outlandish reviews of Collateral Beauty. And, you know, know, critics are subjective. You know, I am a film critic as well. But I do think there's a certain herd mentality to be the person that can slam you know, I hate oh, that yeah. word, but can slam this, you know, goofy, potentially weird movie the hardest and the fun and the starkiest. Yeah, it's it's um, like that Simpsons meme where it's like, Stop it, he's already dead. Yes. <laughs> and again, I, you know, you can't you can't have it both ways. You can't ask why Hollywood doesn't make original studio driven, star driven pictures, and then act like collateral beauty is the craziest thing in the world. And, you know, I refuse you. Know, I refuse to accept that plot at face value. Like, well, you know, again, you know, like, you know, like Roger Ebert used to say, it's not what it's about, it's how it's about it. And I think there is a tendency to overreact to what the movie is about before you even get to the how it's about it. Yeah. Well, Scott, I enjoyed the article and... Thank you so much for calling in. We're going to take some calls now. Do you want to stick around or do you have to bail? No, no, I'm I'm stuck in a, a parking lot till my daughter is done with her activity. Okay, so. nice. Well, let me wrap it up for the iTunes on demand version of the show. This will be the end of your episode. (laughs) If you are listening live or you are a Patreon member, the podcast will continue. So if you are on hold, we will get to your calls now. If you want to become a patron and get the bonus shows, the bonus making Steel Wars shows that I also do, just recorded with Jason Ward of makingstarwars.net and the full archive of all our episodes. It's only $3 a month to get that direct to your podcast app of choice. So do that. Support the little podcast. Alex, let's get your plugs in before we go into the Patreon section. You have a pretty fresh 
YouTube show called Black Series Rebels. I just appeared on episode three. I had an absolute ball. Give us the lowdown. Yeah, if you guys are uh, down to subscribe on YouTube, you can check out the video feed. Or our channel's called Black Series Rebels. If you're more of a, a podcast listener, you can you can grab the audio only version of the show. You know, on all your typical apps, iTunes, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And like Steele said, we're new. We're still sort of growing and finding our legs. So the more ears we have, the more input we have, the more we can tailor the show to Star Wars fandom. So everyone who's already tuning in, thanks. And everyone who's going to hop on. Welcome to the Rebellion. And I hope you don't take this as an insult, but uh, the, guys cover, cover, the guys cover Star Wars in a very similar way to uh, how we do it here on Steel Wars. Same, very similar <laughs> tone. So uh, if you're into that, I, I think you'll enjoy the show. And, and watch the video feed because you can see that the tears in my eyes as I rant about C-3PO falling asleep so he doesn't spoil Anakin Skywalker's secret in A New Hope. Ah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very emotional. And before we go off into call, Scott, where can the good people of the internet follow your writing? Uh, Forbes, Forbes.com. My blog is called The Ticket Booth. But honestly, if you Google Scott Memelson and Forbes, you're probably going to pop me up. So if you like what you hear, go find my website and share, share, and share some more. That was so good. I might go see Book of Henry. <laughs> I feel like I need to see it now. I was like, I'm not I have no interest in that movie. movie. And I'm like, well, but it's an interesting, it's, it's, it's the kind of near miss that I want to see more. I'd rather see more of rather Fair than enough. pretend yeah. that I'm super excited for Space Jam 2. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> yes. so it's, so it's not a super good movie, but it's not get fired from episode nine bad. No, I mean, it's competently made. It's well acted. It makes sense. It mostly makes sense from A to B to C. There's nothing in there that goes, oh, no, this person's going to drop the ball in episode nine. I, I would love for, you know, the advertising campaign to include the quote, shouldn't get him fired from episode nine. <laughs> Stop <laughs> <members>. <laughs> That'll be on the Blu-ray box. <laughs> Yeah, the, the little like cardboard sleeve on top of it will say, yeah, Book of Henry, good enough to just not get fired. And you'll slide it off and then it'll be the normal <laughs> the cover. The critics agree. There's no actual on-screen sexual content, consensual or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Thanks for everyone that is listening live in the chat room. We will go into the supporter section now. So if you're listening... Stay with us. If you're on demand, sign up and uh, you will have more Star Wars content to listen to than you can possibly handle. We'll be back at the same time next week, which is in America. It's Friday night. If you are in Australia, it's Saturday during the day. And if you're in the UK, buy some coffee. Thank you, guys. Let's go to the supporter section and may that force be with you. Alrighty, let's get through some of these Patreon calls on the line now from San Francisco. And To hear the up to one hour extended edition of The Call-In Show, along with getting numerous bonus shows each week, 
including weekly Q&As and the Making Steel Wars show that I do with MakingStarWars.net's Jason Ward, become a Steel Wars supporter for just $3 a month, which is about 69 cents a week. You support the ongoing production of the Steel Wars podcast, and as a reward, you get a grip of bonus content as well as full access to our complete podcast archives delivered to a podcast app of your choice on your phone, tablet, or computer. Sign up for a month and see if you like it at patreon.com forward slash steel wars. podcast is part of the planet broadcasting network visit planetbcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates i mean if you want it's up to you also for more star wars podcasting check out the making star wars podcast network at makingstarwars.net ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 